Good evening. This is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundance Success Series. Our primetime mastermind that promotes empowered focus, decisive action, and inspired outcome. Our spotlight is on the economy and the small business owner. My guest is Rick Raddatz. He's an entrepreneur, philosopher, and professional speaker. He has degrees in computer science and philosophy from the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Rick worked for Microsoft from 1988 to 2000, and he started his own software company in 2003. For four years now, he's brainstormed with small business owners representing all points of view. And his vision for his now win-win revolution, you can find out more about that at winwinrevolution.org, he wants to start a grassroots movement that would include not-for-profit, for-profit, and political organizations dedicated towards making the world a better place. Find out about more of Rick's vision at winwinrevolution.org. Awesome interview that will make you think no matter where you are in the political spectrum, check it out. Rick Raddatz, welcome back to Building Abundant Success. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being back with us. I wanted to pick your brain about what's going on with uh, Win-Win Revolution, number one, and what it means for the business owner now in uh, 2012 as we have uh, a bunch of irate people who believe that these uh, businesses are getting away scot-free without paying taxes. Yeah, yeah, the whole topic of you know, good versus greed is, um, you know, that's the issue of the day in, in all of its forms. And and uh, right now there's no clear, obvious answer to all these things. We all have our points of view, and so there's a big argument. Um, and that's really what the Women Revolution is all about. The um, uh, the quick summary for those who didn't hear the first uh, interview um, with me, uh, the Women Revolution is, is this really simple idea that if we limit government the way the political right wants, the right will be happy. And if we take what's left of government, which is still you know, trillions of dollars of spending, um, and we force Congress and or the states to prioritize that spending, meaning you know, to rank the spending in order from most important on top to the least important on the bottom, so all the waste, fraud, and abuse is exposed and is transparent, um, that that prioritized budget is going to force Congress and or the states to help the people who need help most and help them in better and better ways over time as these good ideas compete for a limited um, uh, budget uh, and the highest possible priority. And and so this competition within government spending is, is the new idea. Um, it, it's basically the mirror image of capitalism. It's where um, government is forced to, to help people uh, based on results. And so uh, you know, the quick summary is that the political right likes the limits that this proposes because these are you know, Tea Party-like limits, you know, you know, libertarian-style limits on government. And yet within those limits, we are actually achieving now for the first time ever, because results matter, we are achieving progressive left goals. And uh, so the political left likes this too. And, of course, the political center gets a, a, a government that is fiscally conservative and socially progressive. So that's, the, that's what they always say they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so that's the women revolution. So, so your question was, how's it going? Well, um, it's going great. We, um, I mean, this is a long journey. Uh, there's no way for it to be otherwise. Um, we recorded a five-hour video lecture series that's in the can. We are turning that content into a book that's a few months away, and we have the support of one of the U.S. senators. Um, he is actually writing up legislation um, as we talk now, um, or having it written up, 
and uh, so, so that's the big news, and, and he's ready to kind of you know, push that as soon as he sees the, the general public kind of getting it. So that's what the book is about, doing a lot of political networking. Um, uh, and so it's just a matter of time. Uh, it, it might be years, it might be a decade, <laughs> I don't know, but we're going to keep up the fight. And, and at some point we'll, we'll, we'll get somebody big to say, hey, pay attention to this, and suddenly it'll be in the news. And then that's when we'll have this tipping point. Last October, November, we had a Congress that just couldn't do anything. And then, of course, late last summer, the same thing. So you're coming up with this whole win-win revolution that's supposed to help both sides work. Right now, people are fed up with both sides. What did you think about all that that craziness that was going on? Yeah, well, you know, from my point of view now, uh, that I understand things a little better than I did before, you know, I mean, for me, this was a process of self-discovery, and then... Um, I'm trying to help other people get the aha moment themselves too, mm-hmm. but um, you know, from this new perspective, this, this this understanding of how the left and right are actually more compatible, uh, if only we you know take the limits of the right and the and the goals of the left. But um, the uh, you know, from my point of view, this is what has to happen. Um, uh, we are pivoting as a country on this on this one you know issue of uh, you know half the country really 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 wants limits. And half the country really, really, really wants to help people in need uh, through government. And, and so, you know, both sides are going to get more and more pure and more and more uncompromising until they realize that the win-win solution exists, that that you can have the right-leaning limits and, and the left-leaning uh, results uh, if only you combine limited government with a prioritized budget. So, yeah. so to, me, to me, it was absolutely expected, and it, it doesn't bother me anymore. It doesn't bother. Well, now, we, of course, we have the Occupy Wall Streeters and whatnot. Yeah, and we've new. got a lot of people uh, on various points of view because not everyone who's occupying Wall Street is on the left. <laughs> not well, everyone true, yeah. is. Yeah, and, and not everyone in the Tea Party is on the right. It, it, mm-hmm. there, there, are, there is some crossover, mm-hmm. um, and, and there, there's, there's general support. Uh, I mean, you know, b- both sides are trying to fight greed, okay? Right. Uh, they just see greed in different places, and they're, and they're both right. Uh, corporations are greedy, absolutely, and they're going to use whatever power they can get, and 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 some of that power can be purchased through politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and people who want to help people through government, um, you know, if there's no limits, then that's a form of greed as well, because it allows greedy people to corrupt that good intention, and then that runs amok. So so. Um, uh, yeah, so the Occupy Wall Street movement has has, has, a, has a valid point. I, I don't see a whole lot of philosophy and <laughs> thinking um, on their side in terms of, of, of how to solve the problem. They're just expressing their anger. But that's kind of true on the political right as well. Um, and, and so that's kind of why the win-win revolution is all about you know thinking about this a little bit more deeply. And, it, and yeah, it, it takes a little bit of effort to do so, but, but darn it, these are big problems. If you think if you think it can be solved by your just your gut emotion, well, then you're 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 cog in the machine. You are in fact part of the solution because your gut instinct on the left or right um, is is helping to create this polarized nation that will eventually you know see the the the, the, the grand compromise, if you will, that the women women solution prov- um, provides. But um, but uh, those of us who have you know taken a step back. And see how the fight is developing, and we can say, "Oh, okay, this is why they believe that, and this is what they're missing, and this is why those guys believe that, and this is what they're missing." And then we can just sit back and kind of smile and say, "Okay, 
history is happening as it should. This is the fight we're supposed to be having. And, um, you know, I wish I could open their eyes, but, uh, oh, well, that's life, and we'll, 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 we'll go on. <laughs> okay, well, getting back to a question I posed to you in our first interview, now that we're on this side of the Occupy Wall Street in 2012, mm-hmm. what do you think about um, more entrepreneurship? Because we have a lot of jobs that have been sent in the last uh, 10, 15 or more years overseas. We're not entrepreneurial like we once used to be. Do you think that that's going to help us? Um, First of all, I I disagree that we're not as entrepreneurial as we used to be. Um, uh, I I think we've never been more entrepreneurial. Okay. Uh, Now, you know, entrepreneurship, like anything else, isn't going to go in a straight line. So I'm not talking about the the latest, you know, you know, change in the curve the last year or two. I'm not worried about that. But but the internet. Um, is the world's most automatable, lowest-cost medium for business. <laughs> okay, um, it, it has created so many entrepreneurs. In fact, it has made jobs into businesses. In that, um, you used to work for a company, and now you work from home for three companies, making twice as much money. Mm-hmm. So, so um, uh, you know, we are going to. The trend is more and more entrepreneurship as networks get more powerful than corporations. That will happen in time, it will happen over time, but that's the trend. Um, so, so first of all, I, 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 I'm not worried about our entrepreneurial spirit um, at all. Um, I, I am a little worried that government being so big and so um, you know, involved in so many things uh, does make it harder for entrepreneurs um, but but uh, again, through the women revolution uh, uh, insights, I see that eventually ending. Uh, whether we are the are the key to end, ending or or it has, this happens on its own, I don't know. But but eventually that that will stop and, and we will solve this this problem. Now regarding outsourcing, um, you see, I, I personally don't see any other way. Um, you know, I, I, what are you going to do? Um, it, it's my freedom to hire anyone I want to to get a job done. It's my money. <laughs> okay, um, I pay my taxes. The money, money that's left over, I can use uh, pretty much any way I want. Um, and and I can I can hire a Fred here in Indianapolis. I can hire you know Barney in uh, in Denver. I can I can hire uh, you know somebody else overseas. That's my freedom. And so if the U.S. wants to have jobs here, darn it, we've got to be competitive versus the rest of the world. And do we really want those jobs? I'm not sure. <laughs> if, if you see about the conditions in other countries, and, and here's, here's the goofy thing. It's like, like we may hear about some factory and how horrible it is, but those people want those jobs, and their life gets worse if those jobs end. So you have proven that because that's how sucky life is over there. And so, um, it, you know, I'm not saying it's, it's heaven. It, you know, by having this, this hard factory job, it's not. Um, but it is an improvement over their hell. And, and so the, the, the bottom line is, um, like Steve Jobs told President Obama, uh, apparently uh, in an interview, you know, just slightly before his, before his untimely death, um, that those jobs aren't coming back. They just are not coming back. Um, at least not until the rest of the world is at parity with us. Um, until they don't want the jobs either. <laughs> uh, and and so um, uh, if we, if basically you know if you are in this country and you want a job, you've got to find some way to make somebody else money. Because that's the only way anybody makes money in capitalism is by helping other people first. Right. And um, 
and if you're not, if you don't have the right education, the right, or you don't have the right mindset, or you don't have um, the right energy level or attitude or whatever, you know, any of those things can kill you economically in terms of getting a job. Um, I fired people for less. So, um, you know, if if um, if you want a job, you got to ask yourself, how can you help people, and then that's how you can get a job. We have people now um, listening to what you are saying about uh, the conditions overseas, but America became great at producing an awful lot. In fact, a lot of things that are produced overseas were, of course, invented right here in the U.S. of A. You don't feel that more of those jobs would be able to uh, help our country? Well, um, let's imagine a world where a few things have changed. Okay, I mean, uh, let's imagine the USA where a couple things have changed. Let's imagine that there is no minimum wage. Okay, and let's imagine that uh, there are no unions. Okay, every individual can negotiate their own job, and and they're free to go wherever they want to go. Then they're, they're free to start their own competition if they want to. Okay, mm-hmm. right. Um, now, now that's that's a very libertarian style vision for the government. Let's let's balance that by also having government spending be capped and graded so that it helps the people who need help most. So that means the people who are being paid the least because they're worth the least um, are getting subsidized by government. That means that their health care and, and other, uh, uh, even their training or retraining and so on is being, even their salaries perhaps in some cases, are being subsidized so that they can get into the work face, uh, workplace uh, easier. Um, so in that scenario, then the U.S. can start to um, to bring back some of those low-paying jobs because now we have a full spectrum of jobs. You see, by, by having things like a minimum wage, what we're basically saying is if, if anybody who can um, do the job for less overseas got, you know, has a job, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. Um, and, and anyone who isn't worth minimum wage here in the U.S. has no job. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what a minimum wage does. Now, um, uh, the people on the political right are often in favor of eliminating or, or reducing minimum wage for that very reason. And the people on the political left are concerned about you know, doing that. You know, they want the opposite. They want to raise minimum wage because they want to help people. But uh, the way to help people in this scenario, again, is setting capitalism free and paying people what they're worth and so that they can get traction and get education in the workplace and, and, and learn that job and, and become worth more. And then in parallel, you have this charityism thing, this, this charitable government thing, where, where government is, is subsidizing people who need help most, and that's taking the place of minimum wage. So, so the, it, the, the lower-end worker still gets a living wage and benefits, and etc. They're just not getting it by the employer being mandated. They're getting it by the government subsidizing. And, and it sounds um, the same almost, but it, it's incredibly different because, as Milton Friedman said, there is all the world in the difference between two things that sound very similar. Um, the first being 80% of the people voting for the top 10% to, to give the money to the bottom 10%. <laughs> okay. That's okay. kind of a, a, a use of force. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between that and 90% of the people voting to help the bottom 10%. That's mm-hmm. called charity, and that is compatible with freedom of opportunity and and um, uh, and uh, and even social justice. So, so, so under that scenario, we could bring those lower end jobs back um, um, because uh, I could hire. You know, if I could hire people for two dollars an hour, and I can make four, they're hired. Then they got a job, mm-hmm. and, and and by getting that job experience, they'll be worth more. 
and, and they'll want to raise and they'll deserve it. And then they'll go to work for somebody else because they have a job history. And um, that's the only way we, we, we solve uh, that problem on the low end. Now, going from there to the situation that many uh, people uh, who are occupying Wall Street and just many Amer- Americans in general are mad at the banks, Freddie Mae, uh, 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 Fanny, was it Freddie Mae, Fanny, what all yeah, these other people, Fanny, yeah. Fanny, Freddie Mac, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're just angry uh, about, uh, you know, the fact that they felt that they were duped and uh, now they, you know, we have the housing crisis, the banking crisis, et cetera. I know that there's some self-responsibility in this. What did you think about that? Well, um, the, the first thing is th- there's, there's blame to go around pretty much everywhere. <laughs> Okay, mm-hmm. so so it's hard to be, you know, if anyone's singling out one thing, like eh, it's the banks or it's the government or it's capitalism, no, the, the blame goes all around. Um, uh, first of all, let's cover the banks. You mentioned the banks. Um, the, the the banks are going to make decisions, and and sometimes they're going to be bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's no way around that. Mm-hmm. Um, now the banks were also ordered by the government to give away. These loans to um, uh, uh, to kind of be an affirmative action kind of thing uh, to help these these lower end people, and um, uh, okay, good intention, but um, uh, you know all that's doing is adding risk in the system. Now I, I I don't view that as the cause because that was known to the people investing in these in these um, uh, you know uh, I forget all the names that they call them, but. Um, the credit default swaps and all, all this kind of stuff, whatever this all ends up, up uh, being rolled up into. Um, you know, you know, people were, were buying these things on the free market um, mm-hmm. using their own self-interest as a guide. Okay, so what that means is the government's really off the hook in this. Um, in that, as, uh, you know, even though the government kind of initiated the problem and, and fanned the flames a little bit, um, it was still the private industry. Uh, private people making investments that that overinvested and they weren't prepared for a downfall and and and, and darn it that's how the world works and there's no way to stop that. Um, the the thing that we have to remember is this that the only reason that um, a recession exists at all is because of how good it was before. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, if we without capitalism. Uh, guiding, um, you know, the economic distribution of, of goods and services, et cetera, natural resources, um, we would all be so poor, we'd be hitting each other with clubs. Okay. So, um, uh, so let's be thankful we have a recession because that means we had a good time before and the good times will happen again. Uh, there's no way around that. If you think about it, it's kind of like, I mean, you know, people have used analogies like the four seasons. They've used analogies like waking and sleeping. You know, I mean, and these analogies are correct. You can't go full steam athletically forever. Eventually, you have to sleep. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. um, and, and so um, you know, it's it's human nature for people to overinvest in good times. How are you going to stop that? How are you going to stop that? Um, and it's it's human nature for people to over pull back as soon as they sense bad times coming. Creating a creating a recession or even worse, okay. And how are you going to stop that? <laughs> okay. But the good news is, it's also human nature that in bad times, people will be more cautious and more disciplined in their investment. Well, that creates good times. So so the cycle continues, and and so so the uh, the people who blame capitalism for a recession, well, 
you know, that's like, I don't know what the right analogy is, but that's just wrong. <laughs> it's just wrong. You can't have the bad times without first having good times, and the good times are because of capitalism. So, so let's be thankful we have good times at all, and let's just take this as a, as a lesson that, darn it, um, in good times we have to save, and in bad times it's time to invest. But we can only invest if we've saved. <laughs> okay? Right, so, right. so, so, so the, the counter cycle investment cycle that so many wealthy investors use is actually the, the real lesson from this. We have to save during good times and invest in ourselves during hard times. So the um, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, you're saying that, of course, people are just overindulged, but you don't think that it was the uh, responsibility, number one, of the homeowner to know what they could and could not afford, and number two, the people who are making these loans. Yeah, well, well, um, all, all of that is true. Um, uh, all I'm saying is that if you look at the chain of events, Mm-hmm. Um, a private investor buying those those um, uh, mortgages from the very banks who lent them out mm-hmm. um, bought them knowing full well what the risks were, so that kind of absolves the earlier factors in that chain of being the cause. Um, so the true cause is that economies go through cycles. Um, people are going to overinvest in good times. Um, Austrian economists would say that inflationary money policies created the bubble, and, and I would argue that that even without inflationary money systems, you're still going to have bubbles. Um, they might be longer in growing, and they might actually, therefore, become bigger with a bigger crash um, instead of quick up-and-down cycles like you'd have in a, in a, in a pure, um, you know, stable money system. But, um, you know, you're, now we're talking about things that are such fine-tuning of the government when such basic things are broken that I'm just not worried about that at all. You know, you know, if we get government spending under control through caps and uh, prioritized budgets, uh, that maturity of government spending that achieves social justice through Republican-style limits, uh, that is, you know, that is going to unite the country politically. Uh, that is going to um, let capitalism. That's going to take the, the burden off of capitalism, um, so capitalism doesn't have to be mandated to perform all these uh, good intentions. Um, and so capitalism is set free, that increases our economy and everyone's wealth, and charityism uh, in parallel through government spending you know, you know, helps people who need help most. You know, you know, if we solve those problems, then we're going to have such amazing success and wealth and, and abundance in this nation that, that all of these little arguments just, just go out the window. It's kind of like if you're learning how to bowl and you're, you're like stepping wrong, it doesn't matter how your fingers are gripping the ball. Okay, mm-hmm. you got to get your pacing right. Then you got to get your body posture swinging right, and then um, and then your arm has to be in the right position the whole time. And then we can worry about your fingers. So, so I, I think that's how I kind of take some of these issues. Is that uh, yes, it was wrong. Yes, it was a problem. Yes, it was a contributing factor in some way. But you know what? There's bigger fish to fry. People now are saying that um, because we're in the season that we're in right now. Economically, we're losing uh, the middle class, and the middle class is uh, what helps uh, the people up top. What do you say to that argument that we well, are losing a great portion of the middle class? The, 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 you know? the people up top uh, is a very interesting way of phrasing it. Um, I would phrase it as the risk takers. Okay. Okay. Um, because um, I, I believe that there's really three three broad classes in in um, a mature capitalistic economy. Mm-hmm. There is an underclass. 
which is either undereducated um, uh, or, or has the wrong mindset or, or doesn't care or whatever, and, and they're they're not good to hire and they're not uh, good for selling to because they have no skills and no attitude and no money. Okay, so they're going to be the hardest people to, to, to help. And then you have the middle class, the uh, the people who have a decent education or mindset and attitude, and they're going to get a decent job on average and, and be able to afford nice things and uh, not too nice, but you know they'll have a nice, comfortable lifestyle. And then, uh, then, then there's people who take risks uh, and win. Okay, you can take risks and lose, and then you're you're in trouble. Um, but you take risks and win, and capitalism will richly reward you for having served the middle class. And and so yes, the middle class does um, you know you know is what feeds the rich. Um, but the rich got rich because they took a risk. <laughs> they risked right. their money. Um, and uh, I think it's very important to point out. Now, the um, uh, but see, all of this is very dynamic. Okay, it's capitalism that creates the middle class. Um, uh, so I guess here's the question: Which came first, capitalism or the middle class? The answer is capitalism came first. Capitalism created the middle class, and so it's not fair to say that that the, the middle class um, um, disappearing. Um, is causing a problem for capitalism. It's just the opposite. We're we're screwing up capitalism somehow, um, in that in that it's not sustaining the middle class anymore. Okay, um, because of the tax burden, because of the regulation burden, um, and, and because of the uh, lost hope, uh, because of of, of, the, of the two uh, two burdens I just mentioned. Um, uh, if we free up capitalism, you will see hope return. You'll see wealth return. You'll see the middle class return. So um, it's not that the middle class, um, you know, is hurting capitalism. Uh, the lack of, of, of free market capitalism is 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 destroying the middle class. Mm. Okay, so you think that that is destroying the middle class? And my argument is simple: which came first? <laughs> capitalism yeah. came first. Period. Capitalism did come first. Yeah. Right. Do you feel with this, um, you know, capitalism? And you know that we have going right now, it it benefits the startup businesses right now because many people are having issues of just getting loans to start businesses. Well, um, part of the problem with startup businesses, it, it, see, it, it used to be that to be in business, uh, this mm-hmm. is like before the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, it used to be that to, you know to be in business, you had to have like inventory because what were you doing besides selling something, right? Mm-hmm. Or you had to have a professional service. I, I guess that would that would be the exception, but. But uh, it was pretty expensive to start, you know, an inventory-based business, um, mail order or, or store-based or whatever. Uh, but nowadays on the Internet, you know, with, with modern shipping um, techniques and dropship, et cetera, you know, you can set up a store in five minutes and be in the marketplace, but so can everybody else. And, um, and so the competition is more fierce, and yet the possibilities are, are more um, amazing, um, you know, too. So... Um, uh, the I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I love track of your question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about the startup businesses, and you were oh, talking about business, people yeah. being able to to uh, do their thing on yeah. the internet. But that's the mindset of a lot of people. It's difficult to start, get the startup monies. Uh, yeah, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about the loan. You see, back in the day, you had to be such a professional to start a business. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, who was going to loan you money <laughs> if you weren't, right? Right. Um, not, nowadays, anyone can start a business, and but there's no way in heck, in heck you're going to get a loan, because how can the the bankers loan against no assets? 
Uh, see, bankers are not in the, in the business of, of venture capital funding or angel funding. They're in the business of loaning money against assets. That's their only business. And people misunderstand that, um, especially with the SBA loan, where people think that the SBA loan guarantees everything, so it's kind of like an asset they're loaning against. Well, yeah, to some degree, but th- there's still a cost to that, and the bank still needs collateral, and the government needs collateral too. Um, and, and so it's, um, it, it still requires collateral. So, so it, this is one of those takes money to make money um, problems. Um, and and the, the one thing that can help a small business owner is realizing that time is money. And, and so if you don't have an asset that you can borrow against, um, you can at least invest your own time in your own education and in your own lightweight business model, and, uh, and you can get some income going. And, and history is full of examples of people who started very small businesses um, but had some success and reinvested that, that, in, that, in that success and then, you know, got big, <laughs> got really big. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, of course, it's hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if everyone was doing it, it would actually just be harder, <laughs> okay, okay, right, because it would be so crowded. So it's going to be as hard as it is no matter what. So um, I don't feel that it being hard is an excuse at all. Of course it's hard. Um, you've got to be good. And, 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 and that's why um, I, as an entrepreneur, um, am, am pretty frustrated when, when, when people you know, talk about you know, capitalists being greedy and, and whatever else, because it's darn hard to, to get a business going. And it's very risky. You, you put your whole family life at risk. Um, I'm talking about not just financially. I mean, just the whole structure of your family is at risk because of the stresses involved. So, I mean, it's a really, um, uh, you, know, you know, dangerous thing. And so if you go for it, you know, you're to be applauded. And, um, and it's not about greed, typically. It's, it's about wanting the best out of life and, and, and being willing to work to get it. So, yeah, it's hard, uh, and it should be. And, and, yeah, it's hard to get a bank loan, and, and it should be. Look, look, bank loans are easy. If you have assets, they'll loan you money. That's it. Okay? It's that simple. Um, so if you're complaining a bank isn't loaning you money, you probably don't have assets or you probably don't have um, a steady income or, or, or the right experience in your industry to, to make them kind of you know, push you over the hump. Um, uh, but uh, you know, that's, um, that's the free market for you. you, you you've got to earn it. it it's, a, it's a jungle out there. Now, those people who are in their businesses, and I'm going to ask this question again from the first interview, what happens to those individuals who need health care? Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, what do you do there in this whole cap-and-grade system that you want to do? Yeah. With well, it, it, yeah, under the win-win philosophy of, of capping um, government spending and, and prioritizing the budget, um, uh, what happens is, first of all, capitalism is set free with no mandates um, on what business has to do. Uh, there's only regulations preventing businesses from, from lying, cheating, and stealing. Okay? So now this is a kind of a theoretical universe, but, but that would be the ideal, is that uh, business is set free, you can't lie, cheat, or steal, or you're going to jail, but, um, and, but you're not forced to offer a certain level of service. And what that does is that allows for maximum creativity and competition. Uh, anyone can start a business very quickly, um, uh, and, and you can uh, compete, and by competing, force the industry to, to deliver better service faster and, and the whole bit. Um, and so in the world of healthcare, which is what this question is about, um, capitalism would say, hey, let, health, let the healthcare industry compete across state lines, 
Um, you completely let anyone offer any services to anyone um, uh, for whatever price they want to do it at. And um, so maximum competition in order to lower the price and increase service. And then in parallel, um, charityism, the cap-and-graded government budget, um, would naturally um, prioritize helping people who need it most afford um, uh, health care, at, at least for emergency-type health care. And, and uh, you know, I'm not talking about like, like the big expensive things. Uh, you know, just like you know, you don't insure your car for um, you know, oil changes, <laughs> you know, um, and and every little little maintenance item that you have to do. Um, you know, the, the most uh, uh, cost efficient healthcare is going to be one where you know you take care of the little visits yourself, and whenever there's a big emergency that requires fifty thousand dollars, you're covered. Um, that's called catastrophic care. And something that um, almost everyone could afford if only it was available. But in many states, I think most states, it's not available because the, the government has mandated that uh, insurance companies, um, you know, do all these other things instead of just catastrophic care. So, um, so to answer your question, in, in, in my um, uh, vision for the future, uh, capitalism is set free so that services increase and prices get lowered over time, and then we we, we help people who can't afford it. Um, to, um, uh, to, to, to get by, and, and we also at the same time uh, get them ready to afford it so that they're off the, uh, the public support. Now, there are some people who will never be off that type of support. We're talking about the severely disabled, yeah, elderly, et cetera. And you're saying that, uh, that uh, the, under the system it would create a, a uh, lower price for particular care. Doesn't that put that population at risk? Well, I can't imagine that population not being prioritized above pretty much everyone else, you know, in the, in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that, it, that pop- it, isn't, it isn't a priority right now. <laughs> well, it, it um, uh, still it, it, there's a lot of services for that community. Um, I, I have a relative who has some severe special needs, and and, and and there is a lot of support given, and then a lot of private support comes in, in too. Um, but the, the the bottom line is. If if you as an individual are not able to pull your own weight, okay, you need help from other people just to survive, okay, then um, which is more risky, uh, relying completely on private support, relying completely on an uncapped, ungraded, politicized, greedy, corrupt, wasteful government spending, <laughs> okay, or relying on a capped and graded government budget where the priority is transparent. I'm going to say that the people who are truly are in the situation, I think they get helped more by a, uh, by a transparent prioritized budget. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I, I think the proof of that is in how Oregon prioritized their Medicaid. Okay? The, um, they had to go and do that twice because of how hard it was, and they had to make it a very political process, and, and they had to make it more transparent. And, and by doing so, they, they made it very clear how they're going to help the people who need help most. Um, now, I don't think the Medicaid budget um, necessarily focuses on special need cases. I think there's other government programs that, that, that focus on that. So I'm not sure that they address this, pro- this issue um, perfectly squarely. But, um, uh, you know, that, that's an example of how transparency does force government to, to make better decisions. 